We go through listener mail regarding the correct use of fixed-term contracts. This is Stuff Employers Should Know. Welcome to Stuff Employers Should Know, proudly brought to you by LabourNet, management's ultimate HR solution. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Barry Gordon-Davis, and as always, keeping my voice in check is sound producer Yasser Yeslikert Ismail. Now, after um, our last week's episode regarding the correct and legitimate use of fixed-term contracts, um, as well as the fact that myself and Yas actually did an online webinar in that week, we've been receiving a lot of listener mail. Uh, we, and when I say a lot of listener mail, we mean a lot of listener mail, which means that we're actually going to do a, be doing a two-part um, episode, uh, busy dissecting some of the questions that have come from listeners regarding the correct and legitimate use of fixed-terms contracts. So I'm going to riff just like that with... Yasser, who's going to then take us through these questions and I'll obviously answer. And for those of you that are thinking uh, Barry's talking about us fighting, no, we do not mean that by reference. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, let me uh, get through this uh, bunch of listener mail. So the first one that we have is, is it a problem to keep offering fixed-term contracts to our employees due to the nature of our work, which is dependent on client and pay severance? when fixed term cannot be renewed or extended regardless of a person earning above the threshold. Wow, that is a mouthful. Yes. So, all right. So this question is relating to person that earns above or below the threshold. When we talk about the threshold, as always, that is the threshold as declared by the minister in terms of, we call it the BCEA threshold. We've done many episodes on that. Um, the, the correct amount will be listed in the, in the description of this. And um, yeah, so... Is it a problem to keep offering fixed-term contracts? Now, remember, the, the, whether you're above or below um, has a huge difference. If you're below, then obviously Section 198B would apply, which is that the nature of the work has to be temporary in nature, as well as the fact that um, the reason for use of a fixed-term contract has to be on a justifiable ground, as we discussed. Uh, so... The question is, is that is it a problem if we keep offering fixed-term contracts to our employees due to the nature of the work? So the nature of the work is dependent on a client. Now, it all depends on the, the, the actual work that is being done. And if we are going to fall into that trap where it's just simply a client using us um, as a labor broker and the actual specific work that is being done is not actually temporary in nature or on a justified or specified ground, you may then run the risk of a person below the threshold being deemed to be a permanent employee of the client or yourself as the employer. And if in the case of labor broking or a temporary employment service provider, then obviously becoming an employee of the client. If the person is earning above the threshold, that classic old case of is there a expectation created and that again is due to what actually occurs during that work i.e the promise of future employment or the continuous renewals that could then give rise to an expectation that an employee that then doesn't get a contract renewed can go and challenge at the CCMA or bargaining council on the grounds of a potential dismissal due to their expectation. And they would need to obviously then go and prove that that expectation existed. Wow, and I thought the question was a mouthful. <laughs> okay, listener number two, and obviously we can't uh, disclose their name. But it could be the, could be the same listener. It could be the we, same no, listener. Poppy says we're not going to tell you. <laughs> 100%. So let's go listener number two or anonymous. So 
Why is the limit set at three months when maternity leave, for example, is four months? Okay, so what they're referring to is the fact that in terms of Section 198B, uh, as well as uh, as well as well A, it says that a fixed-term contract or a what is deemed as a temporary employment service is limited to three months. And the question is basically why, when maternity leave is four months, would they set something to three months? And at the end of the day, it's not obviously linked to maternity. It's linked to the nature of the work that is getting done. And in terms of Section 198B, uh, replacing an employee that is on maternity would be a justifiable ground of using a fixed-term contract for a period that is longer than three months. So it's not to satisfy the needs of the Basic Conditions of Employment Act, specifically when it comes to parental or maternity leave. It is for use across any reason for work being of a, a period that is longer than three months. So quite simply, it's all based on the justifiable reason or the nature of the work. If there is no justifiable reason or the nature of the work is actually not temporary in nature, then the use of fixed-term contracts is limited to three months. All right, that makes sense. Thanks, Barry. The next one is a scenario that's been put, put forward. So a training fixed-term contract is for six weeks. It is set to end at any time during this term if the employee is not making minimum requirements to advance to the new phase of employment. What can the risk areas be? The basic stipend salary is 4,500 rand per month. Okay, so in this example, the employee is earning below the threshold. So we need to then obviously take that into account. And that would be, okay, a fixed-term contract being used for six weeks um, is below three months. Okay, so they're using a fixed-term contract for below three months. It is below three months. However, where there might be a risk in this example is that from the question that has been asked, a fixed-term contract is being used specifically as a probation. So what they're saying is, is that at any time during this uh, period, if the employee uh, uh, does not make the minimum requirements, they will then not advance to the new phase of employment. Effectively, again, using a fixed-term contract as a um, you could call it as a yay or nay rather than having to follow the process of um, incapacity should they not be meeting a required standard. Now, if we're using a fixed-term contract as a form of probation, they could challenge the fact that um, it's not a justifiable ground. However, because it's below three months, they wouldn't be able to then go and claim, oh, I need to, um, uh, it needs to be a justifiable reason because it's below three months. But the employee could go and challenge the, the, the use of that fixed term contract on the grounds of a reasonable expectation of it being renewed because instead of, uh, following your normal incapacity processes when uh, a person doesn't meet a required standard, they were just basically using the fixed term contracts in clause as a hand grenade to end employment. All right, that's a, quite a sneaky, sneaky one. So, so what, I think that what the importance of this question is to say that where we talk about Section 198B being the use of fixed-term contracts for those below the threshold, um, saying that you cannot use it for more than three months unless there's a justifiable reason or the nature of the work is temporary, it doesn't mean that the employee still can't go and rely on Section 186 1B, which is the, also a definition of a dismissal where there's a reasonable expectation that is created. So 
even if it is below three months, it doesn't mean that you're then exonerated and you can use it as you want. Because if you create expectation of employment or permanent employment, like this question said, create that if you meet the standard, you're going to then have permanent employment. Probation should not be used in terms of Schedule 8 to deprive an employee of a permanent status of employment. It's there to determine the suitability and you have to then follow procedures of probation that are outlined in Schedule 8. So if we are saying to you, listen, you get, you do well, you're going to get permanent employment, that creates an expectation. There might be then a, um, a dispute with regards to a possible subjective nature of meeting the requirements. So it's always best that the employer would then follow an incapacity process rather than just relying on the automatic ending of a fixed-term contract. All right, so obviously a fixed-term contract can't be used as some sort of a loophole, you know, of to, course. To, to prevent us having to use yeah. probation in the manner yes. prescribed in terms of the LRA. 100%. All right, our next one is, if you have a project that runs for two years and you offer the employee a two-year contract, but the project gets extended four times over another two years and the contract ends, does the employee have a right to want to be permanent even though we do not have work for that person. Okay. Now, regardless of whether they're above or below the threshold, let's assume that um, there is a genuine project because the answer to this question hinges on the genuine, genuine project that, that is at play. So if we say that the project is extended for a further two years or whatever, as long as we can then go and demonstrate that there actually was a project and the ending of that project, if we talk about it like myself and Audrey spoke about in the, in the episode, if a house is required to be built, you will know that that contract ends because the house is now built and there's nothing more for the employee to do. But if it's something that is a continuous, actual permanent function that is just being renewed continuously, we're then going to question whether that is a genuine project-based fixed-term uh, contract. However, um, the use or extension of contracts that are linked to a genuine project. I mean, uh, if it is genuine in nature, we, we wouldn't really be able to go and put an end date to it anyway. It should be when it, the project is done. On or about this date, we can perhaps put that in. But as Audrey said in the previous episode, rather don't. You want to link, if you link it to a project, stick to the project. And when that project is over, it should not be a subjective thing. It should be quite objective that there's now nothing more for that employee to do because that nature of that work was actually temporary linked to that project. And thus, the renewal should not create expectation of permanent employment because there's nothing to do if the project genuinely ends. Of course, that makes perfect sense. Right, our next one is, a staff member's fixed-term contract was ended due to incompatibility. The contract was renewed year by year until then. Can the employee still go to the CCMA for that reason? Why um, this is a very relevant question is, is that we need to understand that one's right to go and challenge a dismissal or a dismissal that is listed in terms of um, Section 1861 of the, the Labor Relations Act cannot be removed um, uh, by these processes. So um, the employee will always be able to go to the CCMA or the bargaining council, whichever is relevant, and go and challenge um, or try and establish that the, that their employment was actually dismissed. And uh, uh, Sorry, the, the termination of the employment amounted to a dismissal. And if they can establish that it amounted to a dismissal, the employer would then have to go and prove that it was both procedurally and substantively fair. Now, in this instance, if a fixed-term contract 
ends. The only reliance would be on the expectation of permanent employment created. Um, and if there was no permanent employment created, there was then no termination, just a the ending of a contract. However, despite the fact that this employee was on a fixed-term contract, the question or the listener says that um, it ended due to incompatibility. So there is an assumption that if it ended due to incompatibility, that the correct procedures substantively and procedurally were followed in terms of ending that employment relationship on the grounds of incompatibility, which means that the employee wouldn't be able to go and challenge a dismissal in terms of a fixed-term contract not being renewed. However, they can go and challenge the fairness of the procedure and the substance of that effective dismissal due to incompatibility. If they're saying that the fixed-term contract was not renewed simply because of incompatibility, then we the employee would be able to go and argue that um, there should have been a process or a substance because they're saying, but for your incompatibility, your contract would have been renewed, which is then a expectation. And if there was an expectation of it being renewed, the process should have been followed in terms of the incompatibility process. So if the employer failed to renew the contract on the grounds of incompatibility, the employee would be able to go and challenge the fact that the the contract was not renewed. And it just shows how labor relations um, compares to normal relationships. Yeah, Don't so that, create false expectations. <laughs> so they can, they can go and challenge it on the grounds of uh, Section 1861B, i.e. the expectation of renewal, if that is the case, or if employment in that fixed-term contract was ended prior to the natural ending of that fixed-term contract, they can go and then challenge it on the grounds of the processes and the substance of the actual termination due to incompatibility. Okay, thank you, Barry. Barry, our next one is, do all the rules of fixed-term contracts apply to NGOs? Quite simply, the rules with regards to the legitimate use of fixed-term contracts apply to all employers. All right, except when we're referring to uh, the use of fixed-term contracts for employers, uh, sorry, for employees that are earning below the threshold, uh, it doesn't apply to employers with 10 or less employees or employers with 50 or less employees that have been in business for less than two years um, or if a fixed-term contract or the use of a fixed-term contract for longer, and I suppose when they talk about the rules, they're talking about the use and the extent of it. A fixed-term contract can be permitted in terms of a collective agreement, sectoral determination, or if decided by the minister that that work or that uh, the, the work or that fixed-term contract for a particular work is then seen as temporary in nature. So it's always a case of yes to everybody, but but yeah. All employers have to adhere to the rules, whether it's above the threshold or below the threshold. All right. Thanks for the very long but explanation. <laughs> okay, next up we have listener number 6,233. <laughs> <laughs> if I have a team of employees employed on a site-specific contract and that contract ends, however, a new contract is issued to the company on the same project with a new contract number, must I employ all of them again or are we allowed to re-employ only a certain number and new and new employees for the vacant positions? Okay, so um, from the listener's mail, it seems as if they ended contracts that were linked to a project. However, it seems like this project did not end. If they're saying that the company was then awarded the exact same project, um, just under a different contract number. Again, 
everything is linked to the genuine, genuine project. If it is a genuine project and employment is linked to the, 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 the project, employment should end at the end of that project. So these guys could easily go and challenge the fact that if they aren't then used again on that same project, that their employment was actually then terminated rather than continuing on that project. Okay, that's a, got a clear-cut answer. What if the company's minimum requirements is to have a grade 12 and you put someone on a 12-month FTC with stipulating they must obtain their qualification in this period for the contract to become permanent? If not, then the FTC ends. Now, in this instance, um, they are using a fixed-term contract effectively from what it sounds to be, give effect to operational requirements of the business. If they're saying that the, the business... Uh, requires this as a minimum standard and we're now giving you 12 months to meet that standard, effectively you would need to prove again why we would need that standard and why not getting that standard would then mean that you can no longer be employed. Um, So putting the person on a fixed term contract linked to the amount of time we're giving you to meet that required standard um, of the operational requirements of the business could be risky um, because and it doesn't say how much the, the 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 person is earning, because if it's below the threshold, that person uh, that's not a legitimate use of a fixed term contract in terms of justifiable reasons for those that are above three months. Um, and at the end of the day, if it is above, then you're again creating that expectation that if you meet. A or B, you're going to get permanent or a renewal of a fixed term contract. However, um, that that means that. The, the actual nature of the work is actually permanent. But what we're doing is, is we're linking it to try and acquire a operational requirement of the business rather than following a capacity process or a retrenchment process should the person fail to meet the operational requirements or capacity requirements of that position. And for those of you where this might have slipped through the cracks, FTC stands for fixed-term fixed contract. contract. <laughs> <laughs> okay, would you, Barry Gordon-Davis, recommend that an employee with a work permit, irrespective of their earnings threshold, is employed on a fixed-term contract? I would, because of the fact that if a person um, works out of a work permit, they are then obviously illegitimately employed. You In South Africa, you require to be a South African citizen or you are required to have a valid work permit in order to enjoy employment in this country. So if you are then working um, without a valid work permit, it's, it's illegitimate. So to ensure that an employer doesn't over, or overlook this requirement or um, – I mean, they still could even with a fixed-term contract, but uh, it is a listed ground of a legitimate use of a fixed-term contract. It then obviously gives the employee uh, no reason to have expectation of future employment um, because it's linked to their current work permit and any then further extensions to their work permit would be um, used on their own fixed-term contracts but doesn't give expectation that, oh, well, it's going to be uh, indefinite until that person actually is legally indefinitely allowed to then continue with their employment. And uh, as I said, for those below the threshold, it is a legitimate reason to use a fixed-term contract. So I would recommend that the employer, to ensure that employees don't work out of their allowed legal perimeters, to have their employment linked to that um, start and end date of that work permit. Okay, moving on to our next listener mail. 
Can we issue fixed term contracts for the same duration of the service level agreement that the company has with the client? Quite simply, yes. And if the legitimate work that has been done for the client is linked to a contract that the employer holds with that client, remember, we need to also take into account how much they're earning, uh, if the nature of the work uh, is temporary in nature, or uh, if it's longer than a specific period. Remember, this, the, the constraints of section uh, one. Uh, 198A might apply, where the employee might then become a permanent employee of the client. Um, So at the end of the day, if we're going to use a fixed-term contract and we're going to justify why it is linked to external funding or an external source, we can do so provided that it forms part of those justifiable reasons in terms of the nature of the work that has been done if the person is below the threshold. If the person is above the threshold, as per all my previous answers, it would then also depend on the nature of the work not giving rise to a reasonable expectation of permanent or a fixed-term contract being renewed. Okay, Barry, and that's all we have time for in today's episode. So we're going to split this one up into two parts. Definitely, uh, because of our flooded inbox, we have no choice. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's Yasa, the the master of the gross hyperbole. Okay, so as Yasa said, we're going to split up um, dissecting the listener mail into two parts to prevent listener fatigue about this topic, but uh, very pertinent questions that are coming through. So if you want to add to those questions, please, as always, send us a mail at sesk at labornet.com or hit us up on any of the social media sites. Uh, if you found today's episode and any of the previous episodes helpful, please remember to like, share, Hit the review button. Give us five stars. It really does help us uh, improve the content of the show. So from Yasa until next week, we'll be heading to part two. And myself, BGD, stay safe and cheers. Stuff Employers Should Know was proudly brought to you by LabourNet, management's ultimate HR solution. For more episodes from Stuff Employers Should Know, go to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you play your favorite shows. Case law or statutes referenced in the podcast are current at the time of recording.